Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about why we still need to sell. Oh, Do we still dirty. need to sell, Jonathan? It's such a dirty word. <laughs> oh, I don't think so, but no, that's me. Yeah, I feel this. I feel kind of the same way about uh, sales and marketing. Not not the same things, of course, but but they both have a tendency to have a bad reputation with certain people, and I think it's usually because. They've seen really bad examples. There's there's uh, no shortage of bad examples. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So probably the best place to start, uh, I think Rochelle's going to explain to us how selling is, uh, it's like making honey for bees. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like making honey. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, well, we kind of started on this whole topic. You know, Jonathan and I always have this little pre-show conversation and there's this idea, I think, out there sometimes that we don't need to sell anymore, that all we have to do is put up a website and it has to be good. And we, you know, we put out a little content here and there and that should be enough that everyone should flock to us. But this idea that I believe we really need to do, I've been calling it pollinating. And, you know, if you think of bees and hummingbirds, you know, they go from, you know, flower to flower, but they only go to certain flowers. They don't go to every single one. And when I think of pollinating for what we do with authority, I think of it as the publishing is a big piece of that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we, we've talked about that. I will continue to talk about that ad nauseum, I'm sure. But there's another piece of that that's really about engaging. And not just engaging like a huge audience, which is everyone's dream, but engaging one-to-one and actually developing relationships. Not that. Yes, yes, relationships. (laughs) And I feel like, you know, if somebody was selling, you know, before the internet, okay, Mm -hmm. and they're still alive... um, I know I'm in, I'm in that category, but we were used to doing that. It was just natural to just, that's all you did. You based when you're doing um, high-end B2B selling, it was all relationships. And now we've had a real sea change. And so I think the core question that we ask ourselves is how do we, well, first of all, do we have to keep selling? And obviously we think the answer is yes, but then how do I do that in a way that, uses my time valuably that give val valuably that uses my time in the right ways and is still giving value to my audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think some people listening to this would say, well, that's not sales. Like that's fine. That's not sales, mm. <laughs> but interesting. Right. Right. Um, so I'm going to mention two books that are, that are kind of like the polar opposite ends of the spectrum here. And and I think they're both great books. Uh, one of them is my all-time favorite on sales, and it's called The Secret of Selling Anything by Harry Brown. And I think it came out in the late 60s. And if anybody listening to this, you know, gets like a creepy feeling uh, or sleazy <laughs> feeling when they think about doing sales ick, uh, then you should really check out that book because it's it's the perfect encapsulation of what I, I think sales should be. It's, it's a collaborative, it's kind of a collaborative thing where you're mm-hmm. like, you're like, Hey, maybe I have something someone needs. It's not like I have this thing and now I must go attack people with an offer and, yes. and trick them or browbeat them into buying it because I need to make a living. I need to put food on the table and I've got these vacuum cleaners and gall darn it. You're going to buy one right now and you kick your foot in the door and all that. 
That's me, 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 me. Yeah, it's all about the seller. It's all about me. It's it's yeah. disgusting. So, and it's also it's I don't it's not effective. It's I mean I'm sure it works in 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 some in some level, but I mean the, it just seems these days like things are so people are so overwhelmed with messaging. You know, it's got to be a thousand times more than in the eighties. It's got to be, and mm-hmm. you just your BS detectors, people's BS detectors are like highly tuned just like incredibly incredibly uh uh calibrated so i i think that book is amazing because it's kind of like look i don't you know and this is the way i approach uh sales interviews like when someone applies to private coaching that's the only thing i i I have that requires like a phone call before someone might buy is private coaching because it's kind of expensive so when i jump on one of those phone calls i do not pitch anything I, i barely talk Right. I just want to know if it's going to be a good fit because I don't want to spend four months working with someone and at the end for them to be like, well, that was a waste. Because I can't get the time back and I don't feel like I should keep their money. So it's like a, it's a bad situation. So, uh, so I think that, um, you know, I think, I think a, a term I've heard is consultative sales or. Yes. Consultative selling. Yeah. And, and it's really like, look, let's just talk about what you want. What, what do you want? Like, why are we talking? You reached out to me. Why? How can I help? And they'll say some stuff and maybe I will be confident that I can help with it, but maybe I won't. Sometimes I'm not. And usually we can both tell. Like, it's not just I'm right. I'm, I have to say like, no, that one-sided. I'm not going to take you into the program. It's more like, yeah, this isn't a good fit. It's just not. That's, that's still sales, even though I'm half the time talking them out or saying no, or like me saying no, or walking away from the table. Because I don't know, it's just, uh, I don't know if that's, I, I don't know how that plays into the pollination thing, but I, I wanted to bring it up for people that get icky when they think about sales. And then the other book I want to mention, um, everyone's been telling me to read it. Uh, and I finally got around to it. I'm about halfway done with Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. And it's, it is a good book. That said, his worldview, understandably, is incredibly zero sum. It's it, it's total finite game type of negotiations. There will be a winner and there will be a loser. And and if I were in a situation like that, you know, he's a ex hostage negotiator, and it's that's a zero sum situation. Someone's going to win and someone's going to lose, and someone's going to die or not die. So incredibly high stakes and, and and definitely a finite game. There is a there are two competitors facing off. Um, and in a situation like that, I think it's easily the best book I've ever read, but on, on the subject, but that's not the situation. That's like not a sales situation that I ever want to be a part of. Yeah. And you have to, to apply that to our world, you have to believe in a zero sum game. Right. Which doesn't map. No. So, so it's on the one hand, I will surely recommend the book to other people. I think it's really good, but I would never apply it to sales. So it's, it's very, it's very good. I'm sure it, like a ton of this stuff you hear, I hear it. And I'm like, wow, I, I do mirroring all the time just as an interviewer and labeling that's, I do all that stuff, but mm-hmm. it's in service of a different outcome. And, uh, anyway, so, so, and I know so many people have read that book and so many people recommend it to me because they see that I do stuff or I talk about stuff that he talks about, but there is a foundational difference between mm-hmm. the goal. There's a big difference in the goal. 
Well, and I'm, I'm not saying this about Voss's book because I haven't read it, but as I was listening to you talk about these two things, what occurred to me is that we're sort of positioning consultative selling against manipulative selling. Right. Yes. Because you can use consultative selling on the front end. Everything you just described will tell me about your problems. Let's talk about this. You could then use that to manipulate. Mm-hmm. And we're not saying that. Right. <laughs> we're saying right. don't do that. But yeah, right. I mean, those he are kind of... yeah. He's explicitly trying to manipulate the other person. Like, he, Oh, he, of course. Right. Of course. And it's not that we couldn't do that. It's not that we don't know how to do that. It's that that's not, if you want to think of this as a game, that's not the game we're playing. The game isn't to sell this thing. The game is to get the person's uh, wants and, and or needs met and to have a meeting of the minds about what that outcome is going to be, and at least some under mutual understanding of how that's going to happen, i.e., what does the other person have to do for you to get them to this transformation? Because they don't just sit there and do nothing, <laughs> typically. Right. Well, so, yeah, one of the things you mentioned pre-show was was the difference between products and uh, presumably services, although I don't think you said that. Um, so... Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I said it, this, this idea of if you're selling something in a, a boxed services or boxed product is what I said. But mm-hmm. when I when I said it, I didn't mean like, oh, you're buying literally a product that's in a box right. that they have to ship to you. But what I meant by that is that things that are uh, freestanding that you sell. So it could be not a productized service, but a course, mm-hmm. um, an audio, a video, you know, a book. Well, yeah, I guess, yeah, a book would be a download, but something where it's, you've created a box around it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And I forgot why we started to talk about that. I guess it's about the need to sell. The, right. This idea of, do we still have to sell or do we just, you know, do some content, um, you know, position our authority appropriately, position the business appropriately, put up a website. Yes. Put, put, you know, write it well, have it fit your brand, and then just sit back and wait for the money to roll in. Yeah, build it and they will come. Yeah. Which, yeah. as I like to point out, uh, the movie that that quote is from has dreams in the title. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so so are you saying that... Well, I think we, t- we started talking about that initially because we were talking about email selling. Oh, right, I think right, that's right. where the topic came up. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you I'm, think it's more important, or, or do you think it doesn't matter, um, your, your sort of level of sales energy you bring to uh, a, tra- a potential transaction? Do you think it is more important in uh, with one type versus another type? Like if you're doing straight up, um, I don't know, like like high ticket consulting, and or or your I don't know, a big law firm, you're selling pure services, like big projects, seven figure Mm -hmm. projects, then I would imagine that sales acumen is more important there than if you're trying to, you know, that you've got a $9 ebook for sale. Well, I think it's a different kind of selling. I mean, a very high end consultative sale is like watching a ballet, (laughs) right? Because Yeah, it is. It's well, I should pick another one because you're also interacting with your audience. I mean, it's not totally like you up on stage by yourself, but it's a it's very much of of a process. And you need a certain amount of sophistication to do well at that. Mm -hmm. 
And when I say sophistication, it's relative to your buyer. Yeah, You've got to know, say. yeah, you have to know what they're all about. And so I, I could do really well with banks and then walk into, um, well, I, I once worked with a company that made uh, iron things. Like they, is smelting the right word? I can't remember now. It's been so long, but they <laughs> like, so. yeah. It's so, it's, so I was walking the factory floor, barely able to breathe from all the stuff in the air, having a totally different appreciation for the people who work there than, you know, a, a typical sort of um, simple product or service. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's, you, you need to have the sophistication that ties with your client. So you understand their situation. And I think it's different than when you're selling a boxed thing because you still with the box thing you probably have to sell a lot more of them right maybe you have to sell a hundred or a thousand to get the same revenue that somebody might get from a single high-end b2b engagement right and so i i could argue you have to be more sophisticated to sell that box stuff because you've got to be uh using your email sequences appropriately you've got to be on point constantly you have to master social media in a different way so i don't think anybody on either end of the spectrum gets a pass Mm. yeah i agree with that and yeah it is interesting it's certainly it's certainly a different skill set so with the the high-end consultative sales it's it's going to be a lot more like meetings, small meetings, maybe one on one, and mm-hmm. and in the 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 volume end of the spectrum where you, you know you're trying to sell like a thousand ebooks a month or something like that, it it is more sophisticated in a way because you can't you can't wing it as much. You're, you're not getting you can't interact with all of those people one on one, right? Um, in a cost effective way, like it just wouldn't wouldn't make sense. So you have to, it's almost like you need to have um, a better understanding. Like you need to have an understanding of a, of a segment instead of just a person. I feel like it's easier yeah. to understand a person. But in both cases, I will point out in both cases, the key word is, is, you need to ha- is empathy. You need to have empathy with the ideal buyer of whatever the thing is. So in in both cases and that's a that's a constant theme in the Voss book too. It's a really good book. Um but that empathy thing, it's almost I feel like it's mm, I guess it's depends on what you're like, but for me, I can I can I feel like I can develop empathy for someone one-on-one much 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 easier uh than a segment of than than like new freelancers. you know well yeah because the other is a person yeah you're like interacting you can you're getting so much more information even from a video call you're getting so much more interaction and and information from the individual uh even if it's just a regular old audio call you can just you can tell so much more about somebody and Mm -hmm. what they're struggling with from tone of voice and like their speech patterns and and you know where they you know where they are really thoughtful and where they just kind of blurt things out that's like it's actually it's maybe more intense but it's in a, in a way it's easier versus um you know like a, a segment of the audience like you know brand freshly minted freelance rails developers it's like i don't okay i mean 
unless you know some, then it's just a lot of wild guessing and research. So, well, that that's kind of the point because when you have that one on one, you learn about that person, and you don't know yet if that's the only person that does that you've ever talked to. You have no way of knowing which things are unique to the person, mm-hmm. to the company, or to the position that yeah. the person is in. So then you interview the second one, mm-hmm. and you go, huh. And you start, you know, and it's going to take you, you know, five, 10, 20, 100. I mean, it depends, you know, where you want to go with this. But you've got to interview. And then when I say interview, you have to talk with them yeah, and understand. Yeah, have conversations with them, listen to them. And you'll start to figure out which things are unique to individuals and which things are commonly shared. Mm-hmm. Now, it's great if you can go to their watering holes and listen in. Um, even then, you have to be careful because in social media, the loudest voice tends to get all the attention. And that doesn't necessarily speak for everyone or even a majority. Right, right. Okay, so I, I, it's definitely two different skill sets. There's a relationship there, you know, in that you you are trying to build empathy either, you know, for, for, with one, one-to-one or one-to-many. And there's different skill sets between the two, uh, but the the key thing is that you know who e- even in the in either case you need to know which flower you're going to. Like, what kind of flowers do I want yeah. to uh, do my little bee thing in? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because it's not going to work. I watch the hummingbirds out in out in my garden, and you know, they, there's only certain plants that they can actually pollinate. Right, and so there's you know, I personally, I there's like a type of person that I relate to better than other types of people that I relate mm-hmm. to. So it's automatically yeah. way easier to produce desirable outcomes with people who I just naturally have a natural affinity for. So no, but that job of like, you know, oh, geez, I need to sell, you know, 100 ebooks every month, uh, all year in order to like pay my mortgage or something. If you don't decide who the buyer is, and you're just going to every flower, you're never going to create it's impossible to create empathy because you, there's just no, there's no avatar. There's no, there's no ideal buyer. It's just, if your buyer is everyone or businesses or people, you can't, you can't empathize with them because they've all got different. I mean, I suppose everybody wants a washboard abs and have a billion dollars, but but outside of that, <laughs> you know, well, it's like selling Velveeta, uh-huh. you know, like Velveeta is not cheese. <laughs> you know, it has no taste. I mean, you know, yeah, okay. Some people buy it, but just yeah, because it's mass market. That's yeah, mass market. Yeah, they haven't figured out that other stuff is better. <laughs> Tell us what you really think about Velveeta. I really hate Velveeta. I thought you were from Chicago. Come on. No, I grew up in Connecticut, and my family's from Vermont, as oh, in cheese. So there yes, I was raised on cheddar. <laughs> nice. Well, I, I think that's a it's a super important point that gets glossed over is that if you don't know who you're selling to put it like this never mind selling to if you don't know who you're talking to you don't know what to say exactly so you just you say have, whatever comes to your mind and guess what there's no empathy in that yeah guess who and guess what comes out of your mouth it's stuff you care about because you don't know what the other person cares about because you don't know who you're talking to you're just like you know you're just talking to a camera and have no idea who's on the other side of it Mm-hmm. So you don't know if it's, you know, like I, you change, you know, I'm sure everyone has had the experience that they, 
their word choice changes when they talk to different people, like maybe a grandparent or a, a niece or, you know, different people you're going to, or your spouse, like you're going to choose different words in any of those situations. It's still all you, you're not being inauthentic. You're just, you're just like relating to them in a particular way that, that makes the most sense. And it's the same with, you know, in, if we're talking about selling as basically having converse, conversations with people, building empathy with them and helping them achieve their goals. Like to me, that's selling. And, you know, maybe I make some money from it. Maybe I don't. But if that's what we're doing, there's, there's lots and lots and lots of words that have to be exchanged. And if you don't know what words to pick, they're not going they're, It's a lot less likely that they're going to click with anyone and your message isn't going to get across. If you're just talking about the, the only thing you know about, or if the only thing you know about is your features, oh. like, oh, you know, I, it's, it's, it's new, it's improved. It's, you know, it's got whatever it's gluten-free and blah, 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 blah. And you never connect the dots from that to benefits for a potential buyer. Like how is their life going to be better if they take these vitamins or use this detergent? Like how is their life going to be better? And you can't answer that question if you don't know who you're talking to, because <laughs> it'll it'll improve different people's lives differently. Well, it goes back to what you're trying to do when you're selling is you're trying to make a connection, mm-hmm. and you know empathy is a great way to make connections. Um, but I liked your example of gee, you talk differently to your grandmother than to your spouse, and that's the perfect example. If you watch somebody who is the same way with everyone. That's the person who's terrible at relationships, right? Because they can't figure out why everybody doesn't see things their way. They miss cues. So it's really just about, it's paying attention. It's developing your empathy muscle if you don't already have one. It's really honing in on that. And But going back to our title, you know, why we still need to sell, that's why. Because people want to be understood. We all do. We sure. want someone who gets us, who understands us, and whether it's a product or a service or a productized service, we want something that really speaks to us and that we believe is going to solve some problem that we have or get us to some nirvana that that <laughs> we we crave. Right. Yeah. I mean, just give me a good idea and then I lost it because you said nirvana and now I'm like, damn it, damn it. I know I have my arms up in the air right now. He's Nirvana. <laughs> oh, um, oh, here it is. Okay. So that that actually something just clicked for me, and we've kind of said it already, but it it's it crystallized for me. Which is if you if you're you know dear listener, if you don't like the idea of sales, you're probably thinking of it as talking, but really it's mostly listening. Mm. So if you're if if that makes you feel better, that's a great way to look at it. It's like if you go into and, and this is this is how I I can always tell if I'm going into like I haven't I haven't had like a big corporate sales meeting in a long time, but um, if ever I was like feeling like butterflies before, I'd be like, what you know? It's because I was um, not planning on, but like I was getting I was getting sucked into pitch mode. And as soon as, as soon as, if I ever had butterflies before a sales meeting, if you ever have butterflies before a sales meeting, you're doing it wrong because you're planning on pitching it. You're planning on trying to yeah. close the deal. You are afraid you're going to lose. You're afraid you're going to leave money on the table. You're afraid, afraid, afraid. You shouldn't have butterflies. If it's, if you're coming at it from a consultative way, and this is how it always makes them go away. I just say, I'm not going to get this gig. 
And a lot of people will jump on me when I say that because they're like, that's not positive thinking. You should think positively. It's like, (laughs) no, that's how I take all the pressure off. And then I'll perform way better if I know I'm going to lose, air quotes. Just if you, the, the, the idea of the call is for me to find out if I can help, not for me to go in there and and trick them or persuade them into buying the thing that I sell. The thing I sell might not be what they need, might not be what they want, more importantly. So if I if if you if you're feeling like that, you know, like pressure or whatever, just be like, eh, I'm probably not gonna get this anyway. I'll just view it as practice for like doing better sales interviews. And I'm just gonna try and listen as much as humanly possible. And when you do that, <laughs> you're like Oh, wow. It, it, like you'll, you either, it's not a good fit and you'll know right away and, and pitching them would have been a disaster. Or you'll be like, whoa, these people want exactly what I do. I'm the perfect person for this. And then, then you can talk about that if you even need to talk at all. I mean, seriously, in, in a sales interview, I mean, I do all my talking on podcasts. <laughs> I don't talk about all my sales <laughs> interview. <laughs> I get it out of my system here. Well, a couple, it's just like a bunch of things that I have to react to in what you said. So the first thing is, I think of those sales calls as an exploration. That's really what we're doing. And I was sitting there feeling superior when you said, oh, I just tell myself I'm not going to get this. And I'm sitting there going, I can't tell myself that. I'll never get the work because to me that it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. But I realized I do something that's very much similar. <laughs> so, so much for feeling superior, which is I'll tell myself, well, on, on the surface, why this person probably isn't a good fit. Yeah, right. And then right. I and then I kind of let them convince me. I, I don't say that out loud, but I've been wrong so many times in both directions because I'm just going by what I've seen online. That does that's not the real person. That's just one piece. But then the other thing I wanted to make a point of is I feel like embedded in some of what you just said is with our listeners. If you are an introvert. There might be this feeling about, yeah, but I don't really want to talk to people. I don't, um, I want to, I want to make an observation. Some of the best salespeople I've ever met are actually introverts. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because you listen yeah. <laughs> and spend a lot of time thinking about your process, <clears throat> your expertise, your area of authority. And it can be amazing when you target that on an individual or on a team, if you're selling, you know, kind of high-end B2B team processes, it's amazing. And you don't have to be on all the time. Uh uh-uh. You can use it. I sometimes call it a situational extrovert. Um, I, I've got a client who is the original introvert. He does research for a living. Um, nicest guy you ever want to meet, put him on a stage, you would think he's an extrovert. As long as it's on his topic and he feels fully prepared, he's an amazing speaker. But the second he gets off the stage, he's just a regular guy again. <laughs> an introvert talking, you know, when he does talk, he'll talk about, you know, a, a, a set of interests that he has. So use, however you're wired, use it not only to your advantage, but to your audience's advantage. You can do amazing things as an introvert because you're paying attention. Yeah. It's not, not to keep coming back to the Voss book, but it's it's wild because, I mean, he's, he's a big, you know, empathy is a huge theme. And where does it come from? It comes from active listening, intense, active listening, really, really listening. And 
in, in an FBI scenario, they'll sometimes have five or six people all listening and all hearing different things because mm-hmm. one person it's hard. It's hard for one person to pick up everything and, and, and filter and sort of uh, switch off their cognitive biases and all, all of the things that, you know, wanting to correlate things, wanting to find patterns where maybe there aren't any. So it's so hard to listen that they'll have a half a dozen people on a phone call listening for every, everything, listening yes. from every angle because one person just tends to miss it. So yeah, to the introverts out there, it's like you almost have an advantage because you're not thinking about what to say next because you don't want to say anything next. You know, you're not trying to get ready to make your next point or close or whatever. You're just listening. Mm-hmm. And the better a listener are, I, I genuinely believe that the better listener you are, the better you're going to be, at least at this kind of sales, which to me is, well, I'm not going to say the best kind of sales, but it's certainly my favorite kind of sales. Yeah. Well, when I was in a big firm, I used to love to take the introverts with me on the sales calls because, um, you know, assuming that they were really good at what they did because they would just soak it all in and they would always be the one that came out with the gem at the exact right moment. (laughs) And I'm sitting there watching the body language of everybody. I'm, you know, I'm making sure the conversation is flowing, that, you know, the client with, you know, the arms crossed is getting heard. And then inevitably, one of the highly technical introverts will say something. It's like, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that used to be like I, I had a, a, a weird engagement in like 2010, 11, around there where uh, an agency hired me as like um, a, a ringer, sort of, sort of like I had written the book on a particular technology. I was well known for it. And they like wanted me in sales meetings with them to, to kind of like mm. sell their services. And so there was me and this sales guy and he was like, he's a great, great guy, great guy, um, real, real plain spoken, but you know, like, you know, $3,000 suit, the shoes, the hair, the whole thing, like, <laughs> you know, like great shape, handsome guy. And it just like complete, complete, like the, the million dollar smile, the whole thing. And he was a riot, though. I mean, just totally hilarious, not sleazy at all, just very direct and to the point and very funny. And so he'd be like that. So we'd be in a meeting and he'd be, you know, doing his thing. And I was sitting there in like, you know, a T-shirt and jeans. And 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 he would sort of like at a certain point, he'd kind of I'd just be sitting there listening the whole time. And it's kind of like almost like people are like, who's that guy? And anyway, like, who's that homeless guy that's like coming up the street or something? <laughs> And, uh, and eventually it would, you know, somebody would ask me a question and then I, I would be able to just hit a home run because I've been listening so much and I didn't have to, I wasn't thinking about what am I going to say? I didn't have to, I yeah. don't know, it, it's, it's, um, if you're not talking, I mean, talking really interferes with your listening. That's right. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Funny how that works. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So that's, that's a a long way to say that like introverts are actually especially suited to this kind of an approach. Well, yeah, because I think that's where people can feel like, gee, I'm not as good as this doesn't come naturally to me. And you just, this is all about working from your own talents and passions, right? I mean, you've got to, you've got to work to your strengths, I hate this whole idea of working on weaknesses. Who wants to work on weaknesses? No, Let's no work one... on strengths and yeah, make them better. Right. Yeah, I I 100% agree with that. Like, don't try and teach a fish how to, to fly. It's like, no. just, yeah, you're a natural swimmer. So, um, 
Okay, so so the title of the episode though is why we still need to sell, right? So we've talked yes. about how how sales works now, or it, I mean, the Harry Brown book is basically say says exactly what we're saying, and that was from the '60s. So this is nothing new. No, um, the, no, but that's kind of the point, though. It's mm-hmm. nothing new, and on the surface, everything has changed. The, and, the trappings, right? Yeah, like the, the media and it, well, when I say and media, I mean channels, like. But I, I think it's also that we look around us and we say, oh, look at that Joe guy. He's doing all this stuff and he's just raking it in. Look at Sally over here. Like they're just doing that and they're raking it in. Like how come I'm doing something similar for me and I'm just not there? And so people get that feeling. I don't want to call it imposter syndrome because that makes it feel like it's it's this thing that you have to get over. And it, it isn't. It's it's understanding where you are and that there you still have to sell. Those people are selling too. You're just not seeing You're it. Not seeing it. You right. are not seeing it. Right. And I think it has a lot. To, well, yes, a hundred percent that. And in other words, you can only see like the surface level. Like you can't see the duck paddling like crazy under the surface. Right. You see him gliding along. Right. And right, because you're just not privy to that stuff. Because a lot of it's one on one. It's private. <sighs> That's the point. Think mm-hmm. about it. Like for anybody you look at, like um, we were talking earlier about Ramit. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you he has one-to-one meetings every single business day. I will guarantee oh. you. Yeah, yeah. 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 He's, I've been in like beta products of his where he's just like, he's like, okay, there's, I need 12 people because I got to bounce some ideas off, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I guarantee, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure you're right. Yeah. I think it's, I also don't want to talk about this, like this is some old thing that we have to keep doing because we're all dinosaurs. You know, I I don't want to talk about it in that way. It's that the need for connection, the need for human relationships never changes. Yeah. We need that. Right. And so I think the, I think the big, so you were talking about like, oh, you know, Sally's doing this and she's raking it in. You can only see the tactics. You don't see the strategy. You don't know what her objective is necessarily. You might have assumptions about it, but you probably don't know. And uh, so that stuff, just copying the, the, the tactics without any clear objective or strategy is like the noise before defeat, as Sun Tzu says. It's like, it's a disaster. So it's no wonder it doesn't work. So to me, the big mindset shift needs to happen first. And those things will, you could keep doing the exact same things potentially. You might not change anything, but if you change the underlying attitude, you're going to do different behaviors behind the scenes and you're going to choose different words. If you're, if you're out there to, I mean, I see it every day, every single day when people join my mailing list, the question I ask is, you know, what's the biggest business challenge or what would success look like for your business or what's the biggest business challenge you're facing? And 85% of the people probably say something like, um, oh, success for me would be making $10,000 a month without having to work more and, you know, having clients who respect me and doing valuable work. And, and almost, you know, like I said, the vast majority of people don't say what they do don't include anything about their buyers, don't include anything about the transformation that they make for their clients. They just have this dollar figure and like a lifestyle in mind. And that's just, and that's fine, but that's a side effect. That is not a goal. That's a side effect of you delivering more value than you're taking. So wait, 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 wait. I just have to stop you right there Mm -hmm. because 
The reason why you're getting that is look outside. Look what everybody is talking about. People are selling to you by saying, you too can have $10,000 a month in passive income. And so all of a sudden, we all think that's what we're supposed to have instead of, and now I'll stop interrupting where you were going with this. (laughs) Yeah, instead of, so, so, you know, somebody emailed the other day and I'm not, I'm not calling anybody out because this happens constantly. So, you know, if, if you are, are listening, it's not just you. (laughs) Um, but you know, they were like, you know, oh, you know, I want to be making, um, $10,000 a month. And I was like, no problem. Just deliver a hundred thousand dollars worth of value every month and $10,000 a month in income will be easy. (laughs) And you know, it's like, the question is how are you going to deliver a hundred thousand dollars a month in value to get your 10,000? And it's like, well, I don't know. It's like, okay, let's work on that. You know? Who can you deliver that value to? How mm-hmm. is it one person? Is it a hundred people? Is it a thousand people? Is it a type of person? Is it a particular person? How what what is the transformation that they want? How can you help them with that? How how can you contribute to that? It's all about them, you know. Yeah. So like, selling is any to pull it back to selling. If you're not if you're not doing that that listening and creating empathy for a particular buyer or kind of buyer, it's it's going to be unlikely that any of the tactics will work. It's just very unlikely unless you're selling something that's just the hottest thing ever. And it's so cutting edge that there's not a lot of competition. Like, like, you know, when I was doing mobile consulting in 2010, uh, there was a, everybody wanted it. It was like way too much demand and not enough supply. Yeah. Same with blockchain when blockchain was hot, same with machine learning and AI, you know, so if, yes, if you're, if you're, going to jump from trend to trend to trend and be on the cutting edge and one of a handful of people known for expertise in the thing, then you don't really need that much empathy. People are going to come beating your door down, but that's exhausting after you do one or two of those hype cycles, uh, you know, like jumping to the next thing and throwing away all of your expertise from the last one every time. Yeah. That feels exhausting. Just thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, I saw, I saw when mobile was ending and I was like, well, am I going to go to blockchain? No, I don't think so. I don't really care about that. <laughs> it's cool. Don't get me wrong, but it's just not my jam. Not enough to dedicate your life to it. No way. Not, certainly not enough to like write a book. Ugh. I'm going to write a definitive <laughs> Bible on blockchain. There you know. There you go. Well, and I think the other piece about this is that if you don't know enough about the people that you want to sell to, then it's time to start asking. Mm-hmm. It's a big piece in, in my coaching. A lot of most people do not know enough about, do not know who or enough about who uh, their idea buyer is. They just don't. Yeah. And if, if they can't settle on one, it's very, very hard. Because then you're then you start thinking like you start having to do things like paid search and SEO and all of these mass market approaches, which are fine if you're selling sneakers or like everyday carry, you know, pocket knives. But, you know, if you're selling authority based services and products and services, look, your market is probably 10,000 people. Yeah. You know, you got to find out who they are. It's, it's not a big market, typically. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's 100,000, maybe it's a million, but still, that's that's peanuts compared to like Procter & Gamble. So Well, it's... and there's a process where you say, demographically, this is who you want. You know, I want CFOs of Fortune 500 companies, or I want CFOs of uh, food and beverage companies. And, and you start there. And then over time, you get more 
and more and more specific because you figure out who you work well with. I mean, for example, maybe after a while you realize, you know what, I do well with the the CFOs in those positions who are really forward thinking. So how do I define what forward thinking looks like? I can probably find ways to identify the people who are doing that. And you get it, you know, narrower and narrower. Now, in that case, you know, Fortune 500, by definition, is limited to 500. (laughs) Um, Typically, you're not limiting in terms of number. You're you're limiting in terms of a demographic and or a psychographic. So how they think how they feel, what they read, what they watch, what they care about, you know, the things that are beyond the surface. And those psychographics often take a little while, especially for soloists to zero in on, because, I mean, sometimes you think, well, I could get excited about working with anybody Anybody. inside this parameter, no, inside this limited parameter. But then you start to find, oh my God, if I have to work with another person like that guy, I'll have to slip my wrist. So you're like, no. All right. So, so then you refine what you're looking for. And I've worked with clients, a a number of these. I mean, I had one client kept attracting what she called the broken tortured. It was, it was all in the language. She wrote for the, literally wrote for the broken tortured and said, listen, this is easily fixable. We fix the language. Guess what? No more broken tortured. She got the, it's not always as simple as that, but it's usually a process. And sometimes you have to work with people who really aren't the right fit. So you figure out who actually is. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's tough to see a pattern. We've only got one client. So after you've had 10 or 20, You can look back and be like, wow, I I work really well with the people who have a bias toward action and um, are are not, don't consider themselves victims of anything. Oh, we both have that on our list. Yeah, totally. (laughs) I I have a hard time like helping people who just constantly see themselves as victims or people. I'm also not great at helping people who see everything as a finite game, zero sum. I I can't, Mm -hmm. they just, they're going to fight every piece of advice. Mm -hmm. So it just doesn't, it just not, doesn't work you know yep. so um yeah but you don't you don't just like wake up one day and be like oh i know <laughs> <I'm> gonna, <laughs> no you know no i mean there are ways to get to that you know there are different exercises you can do to get there but in a way none of that matters because the point of all of this is that we still need to sell we need to connect with those people not necessarily one-to-one it depends on you know your business model and what you're selling and to whom but you do need to not you we need to connect with them right right and a lot of the tactics that you see you know sally cleaning up with are scaled up versions of those one-on-one conversations so if you're starting scaled up with Mm -hmm. whatever seo and search engine uh, you know paid search and and content marketing if you if you're starting scaled up but you're scaling up nothing then you know, <laughs> zero times anything is still zero it's like you need to have that that core knowledge of of who your buyer is and what they want and that comes from listening 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 and developing some empathy for what it is that they want so and once you have that and you're like and then you start to be able to like every new person comes along and you can do a cold read on them like Oren Claff would call it. They walk in the door and you're like, let me guess. Uh, <laughs> you, you've been doing this for 10 years. You went back solo. You're not getting enough leads. And whenever you do, uh, you're losing to people who you're, you're losing deals to people who are undercutting your price. Sound familiar? They're like, 
they're like, how can I pay you? (laughs) (laughs) After a while, you get to that point where you're attracting people. It's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy because um, as you, you know, because not everyone's like that, but you're probably, if you're doing a good job scaling up these these private one-on-one conversations into the market, then other people like that are going to are, are yes. gonna automatic. It's like a magnet. They're going to come to you and therefore it's easier for you to click with them. It's easier for you to help them. It's easier for you to deliver positive outcomes because you're attracting people that it's really easy for you to help or it's, it's the easiest for you to help. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it does. It warps our sense of the world because we're, we're attracting all of those people and warp in a good way, right? And it's also why it's so important to target the right people. Because imagine you've done a great job of targeting and then you're like, oh my God, I don't like these people. <laughs> I don't care about what they care about. Yeah. So that's that's why that, that targeting, that pinpointing is so important. And you, know, you can have all of the demographics in the world. You can pick whatever you want to. And then inevitably, there is going to be a kind of person that you really click with and another kind that you don't. And it's not just like there's two kinds of people. It's It might be 50 different um, profiles where some you react strongly to and some you don't. But fine-tuning that profile is what is going to make your life so sweet. Yeah. Because then you're, you know, you, you're, wake up happy to go serve these people today instead of going, oh my God, not now. Right. Yeah. Well, you always it all goes back to my fundamental business principle, which is help people you like get what they want. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Like, wouldn't that be, if you're going to make a job for yourself, if you don't want to work for someone, you're going to make a job for yourself and like get out of bed every morning and like really prefer it to like having someone else take all the risks on your behalf, then you might as well work with people you like. <laughs> right? well, and, and everybody wants something. So, <laughs> so help them get what they want. It's funny that that really is why I stayed in big firm consulting as long as I did. Like if I had been in corporate, I had a very brief run in, in corporate. I never would have made it like 10 years because in consulting, I could kind of pick my clients. I mean, not always, but that's why I started selling because I wanted to pick mm. who I worked with. So I was able to actually be employed for much longer than one might expect given how I like to work. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah same here. There's a story in the in the Never Split the Difference book where where this one guy says something like, uh, "I'm up for I'm up for the VP promotion in two years, so I really need you to do X, Y, and Z." And I was like, Ugh. "Up for promotion in two years?" <laughs> I was like, <"Bleh." laughs> "Gross." <laughs> yeah. Well, I, was I, like, I wow. Yeah. Well, I told you this this story. Uh, I don't know, two or three weeks ago about when we were talking about failure, about not getting a big job. And it's Mm. there. I just remember my lesson was I didn't want to rely on somebody else to anoint me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to anoint myself. Yes. Yes. (laughs) As Mr. Godin would say, pick yourself. Yes. Cool. Okay. So hopefully, I mean, I, I feel like, I feel like we've done our job here. I hope, I hope that anybody, especially introverts out there who uh, or really anybody that just feels slimy about the idea of sales is is hopefully convinced or at least understands why any tactics that they might be using now aren't working. If they're not working, maybe you understand why, because it's missing that core kernel at the base. You're trying to scale something up that doesn't exist yet. 
and and hopefully people will will be less um, I don't know reluctant to do sales with air quotes and just sort of recognize it as a service. It's a service that you know you just go help people, and if there's a good fit, then it's going to be mutually beneficial. Like both parties are going to profit from it. Yeah, selling is developing relationships and it doesn't have to be relationships with a capital R. You're not going to marry these people. You don't have to be best friends even Mm -hmm. with people, but you're developing different levels of relationships with people. And, you know, by definition, relationships are a two-way street, right? You're helping them, they're helping you, and they evolve over time. But it's really hard to be successful in any of the stuff we're talking about if you're not paying attention to those relationships. You don't have to have a thousand relationships to make your business work, but you need some. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. All right. That's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for The Business of Authority. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.